0: Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, my goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices. Instead, look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader at Niche, and my guest today is household name, Akhil Bello. Akhil is an educator, entrepreneur, and advocate Although if you, uh, like me, follow him on Twitter, I might bump that advocate up on the list a little bit, professional hate reader, I might add, who, who has worked in missions testing and educational access for almost three decades. Akil was a founding partner and the CEO of Bell Curves, a test prep company that helps schools and nonprofits understand standardized tests and missions and develop affordable solutions for underserved students. Currently, Akil serves as Senior Director of Advocacy and Advancement for the National Center for Fair and Open Testing, which you might better know as FairTest and he works to build resources and tools to guide policy, ensure that large-scale assessment tests are used responsibly and transparently to benefit students. Welcome, thanks for making time to chat this morning, Akhil.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm going to start off here with two questions I ask everyone. First up, and, and you might have a hard time thinking of one here, but what's something you tried that didn't work, and what did you learn from that?
1: That's probably not hard. <laughs> the question is, which ones are available for public consumption? Um, <laughs> I, I guess the easy one is running a test prep company. I tried it for 11 mm-hmm. years and I didn't turn into a multimillionaire, so it didn't quite work out.
0: <laughs> well, you have to, you have to build the test and then you're a multimillionaire.
1: That was the problem is that yeah. I would you know, I, I wasn't just selling the widget and telling people the widget is perfectly good, no matter what.
0: You know, I think maybe maybe another error there is you're helping people that needed help and not the people with the most money.
1: See, you should have <laughs> been my consultant at the beginning <laughs> of all of this.
0: Well, I don't, I don't know. I've I've worked in uh, in nonprofits and education, so I don't know that you can take my advice either.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we're learning all the things not to do.
0: What What are some practices you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work?
1: That's an interesting one because I don't think. I intentionally brainstorm or intentionally look for new ideas, I think that's more of who I am. I tend to think I look at things from angles. I always feel that I'm looking at something from a different angle. And my brainstorming is more like pushing on a thought, pushing on an idea, why is this the way it is? Why are we accepting this as it is? Is there a different way? Is there a better way? You know, These days, a lot of my brainstorming is Twitter. It's like, oh, that's an interesting thought. Let me go down that rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and just see where it takes you.
0: As an outsider perspective, it seems like you're constantly consuming things too that are helping you yeah. learn, and, and that's where that's where you're probably getting some ideas and trying to backtrack, right?
1: I find Twitter fascinating. Like, I find mm-hmm. the critiques people have of Twitter also fascinating because I don't have that same experience. Mm-hmm. To me, Twitter is, you know, one that was very intentional about who I follow on Twitter. Yeah. So. I'm on Twitter for ideas, not for, you know, celebrities and, and that kind of BS. So to me, it's like watching traffic, but traffic of ideas. So just, you know, like when you're watching traffic, you're not going to see every car. Right. Yeah. But some things are going to zip by. It's like, oh, that's cool. Um, and that's kind of how I, I use social media. It's like, oh, that's cool. Let me run down that path. Let me see what that person is saying. Let me see the research behind that. Um, yeah. so that yeah. generates a lot of things I end up thinking about.
0: Yeah. Do you take advantage of lists so you have smaller clusters that you can dive into? I don't.
1: I don't try to curate it. Like, I just treat it like, you know, when we used to play the, that's my car. It's the same (laughs) thing to me. It's like, I'll just watch it go by. I know I'm missing some, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) I don't try to curate it. I don't have particular lists.
0: You know, when you talk about, oh, it's, it's all garbage and they, they have this very negative view. Who are you following? I mean, it it is what you make it. So diving in, in here kind of, Connecting this conversation we're going to have to your work and and sort of your what's become your life, I'm sure as well. You know, we know standardized testing is deeply flawed. There's still some institutions that re- rely on it for acceptance, even though it's well publicized. That was not the initial intention, really. Even for institutions that haven't yet made that change, either there's pushback from faculty, there's pushback from boards, leadership. What are some useful data points that can help start that conversation?
1: The data points that are often used to justify the test to me are the ones that I often use to question the test hmm. between ACT and SAT, right? If the predictive validity of first year GPA, it adds somewhere between three and six percentage points to what you can predict from high school grades. There's a $2 billion industry surrounding supporting students and and institutions are paying, I don't know how much they're paying, right? But the two billion dollar mm-hmm. test prep industry built up around universities getting three to six percent better prediction. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Like that, that that ratio of of cost to return is mm-hmm. insane. Why would you encourage this? Right? So so that's a starting point. Like the data from College Board Which we all know data can be manipulated, but if we take College Board at its face, they're saying it only provides a small bump on what you already know. And all of the nonsense it creates, that should be enough for any institution to question, is this giving us enough value to be worth all of the other stuff it creates? Mm -hmm. And I find a hard time saying yes.
0: I'm not looking at the data all the time like I'm sure you are anymore, but with that two to three percent bump, I'm curious what the error is there even. Is it right. two to three bump and there's a four percent error? No, <laughs> something like that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: I have yet to see an institution that's you know, that that says the SAT and ACT provide me so much information about success that that, you know, it's crucial to our work. It's giving you a modicum of it's small bump on what we already know. Well, what places need that? Right? There's not a very a whole lot of places that need that or are using it more out of tradition or habit. Right? And that's I think that's that's something that needs to be questioned. You know, it's the same thing kind of as legacy. Right? And almost always those things tie back to wealth. You know, I challenge institutions every time I talk to to disaggregate retention by financial retention from academic retention. You know, if you're saying that 27% of your students don't retain, good. Let's pull out what part of that 27% just didn't have the money to continue. I bet you that number looks a whole lot different when you look at it that way. Because College Board likes to talk about retention and graduation as if it is solely tied to SAT scores. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. they put these happy little charts. Here's the retention rate based on this score and that score. Yeah, but those scores also correlate to wealth. So if you're distributing it that way, you're also talking about the financial burdens of attending college. And until those things are disaggregated, you can't make any claims about what the test is doing, right? These implicit causal relationships are are, are flawed at best.
0: There's so much to unravel with retention. You can have social emotional issues. You can have family issues.
1: That's why I want them to pull out academically eligible to retain. Mm -hmm. Right, because it allows you to, like, let's just ignore all the other stuff. Let's just pull out what percentage of students were academically eligible to continue and did Mm -hmm. it for whatever reason. And that will probably show you more. You Mm -hmm. know, I've seen an institution with a 30% transfer rate, which is fascinating to me because I just don't know what that means. Right, they had a graduation or maybe the retention rate was maybe 40%. But -hmm. when you dig into it, there's a 30% transfer rate. So doesn't that mean like their retention rate is or their like true continuation rate, their academic development rate, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. is like 70%. Because if 30% of the students continued at another four-year institution and chose to move on, maybe encouraged to move on, Mm -hmm. right? You did a pretty good job there. But that school is being penalized in metrics for allowing students to move on to another institution that might have been better suited for them for whatever reason.
0: Was that a two-year or four-year?
1: It was a four-year. It also is a school that's close to several others (laughs) that have more prestige and national appeal. So I was wondering whether it attracted students who wanted to go to the other places, but didn't get in, and then they did a year and continued, right? So- it has less to do with the institution and more to do with the students' choices coming out of high school. You know, I transferred twice. You know, I came out of high school and I went to the University of Virgin Islands for a year, and then I transferred, which was my biggest mistake. But coming out of high school, I was, I was in St. Thomas Virgin Islands, and I was set on getting to New York. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to transfer no matter what. Right? Yeah. I had a great first year. It was my best year of college. I shouldn't have left, but it was in my heart coming out of high school that I'm going to college in New York. And so I was transferring at the end of that year, you know, no matter how great it was, no matter, right. No matter how great it was <laughs> <laughs> so. And in the, in
0: the numbers that hurt their attention makes them look like a worse school. Right. But, <laughs> right. But it, it had absolutely nothing
1: to do with them at all.
0: And I, I've said this elsewhere and I'll, I'll try not to throw my soapbox up too much, but <laughs> you have to have the quantitative and the qualitative. We cannot look so I mean, these data points are part of the story, right? They are, part of what people want to look at. And I think there's, there's this split. And actually one of the things I wanted to get your take on too, there's this split of what those of us who do this professionally say people should care about, Mm -hmm. but then there's a real difference between what students and parents say matters and what they care about. And how do we blend those? Because we had, so when we, when we did a recent survey of juniors, 75% of them said that if they didn't support test scores to a test optional and test blind school, they thought they were going to be less likely to be admitted. Like, no, 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 that's not what test optional and test blind means. And when we talk to parents and we talk to students, they say, well, test scores really matter. No, no, they don't. How do we, we're, I think we're making slow progress.
1: I mean, it's the problem of pop culture, the media, the Mm -hmm. rumor mill history, blah, blah, blah. We've told people for so long that test scores matter. How do you mm-hmm. unring that bell, right? Yeah. And that's what you're working on right now, unringing that bell, right? I think that it's it's going to be a problem, right? That's why grade inflation makes me laugh. We've told people for 50 years now that it's impossible to get into college without straight A's. So mm-hmm. we've told you to care about your grades, right? Because think about like your father's generation, your grandfather's generation, right? It was finished high school. No one cared, really, or the vast majority of people didn't care about their grades in high school as a stepping stone to the next thing. You just had to finish high school. Mm-hmm. Well, we just spent 50 years telling a generation or two, your grades in high school matter god awful lot. You better get A's. And now we're telling them, because you've been working so hard to get A's, you must have been doing it wrong, and it must be flawed, and it must be inflated, and you must have been cheating. how does that that make sense we've told them to do everything you can Mm -hmm. to get the best gpa possible take all the aps yes we will wait your aps and now the story is great inflation bizarre
0: it's hard to compare school to school now too because of some of these some of the waiting scales i've seen are just bonkers
1: yes it it absolutely is (laughs) like i I found out about six point scales and ten point scales and it's like, holy crap. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, that's also makes me laugh because it's it's the fundamental American individualism that we like to mm. hold up as if it were a good thing. Right. Mm. We don't have a, a U.S. educational system. Yeah, We have 6,600 U.S. school districts that do their own thing. And we say state rights and, you know, <laughs> local education can't get mad because the repercussions of that is that you have a hard time comparing different districts. You let every district do what they wanted to do. Every school do what they wanted to do. There is no federal curriculum. Guess what? It's going to be real hard to compare. That is the nature of the beast.
0: When you look at transcripts and you see weighted PE classes, you're like, what in <laughs> the world is this?
1: that sounds ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) so i i get it i mean i don't necessarily envy college admissions offices because there's a lot of stuff to unpack Mm -hmm. in all of the things that they have to deal with Yeah. you know but i find the narratives around college are problematic and that's that's a lot of what i've ended up spending my time on recently is looking at these narratives that we've created and trying to understand what's actually behind it.
0: Figuring out the why.
1: Yeah, you know, test scores. I think the biggest lie that we've been sold since the 1900s is that test scores are objective. The data is objective. The crappy rankings of all the rankings people, you know, someone chose those metrics, right? So it's pseudo-objective. Someone chose the topics on the SAT that they wanted to test Mm -hmm. and decided that these are important and the other ones aren't. So, and that's, I've been trying to work out the proper way to phrase this, but standardized testing is a sampling of things learned K-12. So someone has sampled the topics because it doesn't cover everything. The SAT Mm -hmm. used to have maybe... 40, 50% geometry? No, probably 30% geometry before the last revision, and now it's less than 10. So Mm -hmm. there was an intentionality to diminish the testing of geometry. The ACT has about 30% geometry. So saying these tests are comparable, it's actually not true. Mm -hmm. They test different material. It's a proxy for what you've learned, used to arrive at an estimated score from which we make a prediction. That's a whole lot of guesswork (laughs) that's really all that is right so you're
0: guessing based off of a guess which is based off of a guess right right (laughs) but the sampling so so connecting two ideas there these are these national tests they're supposed to sample what you learn but there's no national curriculum correct correct (laughs) correct the newcomer then of the clt too that's supposed to supposed to be better than all these
1: the clt as i dig into it it sounds like a test that me and some friends could have made in my basement (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have very little, I have very little hope that the psychometrics and the analytics of that test are, are legitimate and worth considering. It's an ideological test.
0: And, and eschewing these ACT, SAT, we'll go to this one because that one's better. Is one flawed metric better than
1: another? Right. Right. Is, but to me, it's a flawed, flawed-er metric. Because Florida is a word. Florida? Oh. <laughs> like, like I contact teach Miriam and Standardized test. Listen, I teach GMAT, GRE, LSAT, all these things. If I say it's a word, trust me, yeah. it's absolutely <laughs> a word. <laughs> I'm smart. I've done all <laughs> these tests for years. Florida is a word.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's replacing the the less popular, most flautterific.
1: So. Exactly. <laughs> So like, yes. And I think the existence of things like the CLT is fascinating to me because basically somebody took an ideological stance that they wanted the classics to be embedded within test. And so they chose particular reading passages to use on their test, Mm -hmm. right? Which is nothing but an ideological stance created by one guy. And I believe if I remember properly, all of the, the documentation of the test suggests that there was like one psychometrician who helped him. Hmm. So that's why I was like, that's why it feels really local. It's like some dude in his basement with a friend created a test and sold it to some colleges, which to hmm. me is fascinating to say, all I need to do is convince some schools to take it. And now I've got a, a real national test because I've convinced some schools that my ideology aligns with yours and i put some bubbles under it so this is a good thing <laughs> it's like, huh, that's how this works
0: we've had this a lot think about all these barriers student entry i mean you yeah. have the the things they're coming in with whether that's you know emotional things that have happened there, there's family issues financial issues how can staff and leaders start questioning their own processes maybe getting away from testing for a second here just questioning the general processes and advocating for change? How do we look at what we're doing? What's creating problems for students? What's our process here for making things better?
1: I think that institutions have to be more honest, both internally and hopefully externally. And what I mean by that is, I'm actually okay if an institution came out and said, we don't offer support for students we offer a classroom experience which is sink or swim and if they came out and said that i'm good with that right because then i know if my child needs support of whatever nature if they go to that institution they're not getting it they're only teaching in the classroom all other things Figuring out, you know, the bursa and what the heck that means. I remember trying to figure out what the heck a bursa. I, I was like, why did they just call it the cashier cashier? Um, <laughs> so, like, so, you know, figuring out how to navigate all of that. If if I know I'm first gen, English is my first language, like that's not the mm-hmm. place to go because they're explicitly saying we're not supporting you here. You better bring your own resources to bear. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are many institutions that could be more honest. Like. We are here to provide X tools and resources and not provide Y. So don't come here if you need Y, yeah. right? The problem But everyone is, is a place
0: for everyone, right? Every institution <laughs> exactly. Everyone can thrive here.
1: <laughs> everyone can thrive here. And that's part of the problem, right? Is the notion and trying to attract everyone and pretend you can serve equally everyone, mm-hmm. right? On top of that, many institutions and many in this field, use language that suggests if you can't thrive at place X, at a highly rejective place, it means something about your ability, your intellect, your readiness, your aptitude, all of that BS, right? And it's problematic because it can—it it hurts those who aren't admitted, right? I think it would be a more honest process if we were clear about, we provide certain tools and resources, and if you don't have those, you won't be successful. We admit a certain subset of people we're choosing for our own reasons. And if we haven't chosen you, that's for our reasons. Right? My belief is that the vast majority of students can succeed at any college. I don't think there are very many places where you need to have taken AP Calculus 17 to, 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 to be successful as a freshman. right? How many students need Calculus to graduate?
0: Hey, that that's required for all those fine arts majors. You know? Apparently, <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> study history. You have yep. to have AP calculus.
1: Right? Yep. So I think we've <laughs> created the you know this notion of college admissions, which is largely driven by signaling prestige and signaling ability around things that may or may not matter. Right? to tie it back to standardized testing. There's literally no difference between a, a student who can get a 700 on math and a student who can get an 800. They know the exact same things. It is entirely BS to say that those two students, that that test is telling you anything significant about the knowledge and ability and skill of those two students. Because you know what, after 30 years in test prep, on any given day, if I go into the SAT and blink twice, I will get a 700. If I'm not paying attention, I'm going to make two stupid mistakes and be at a Mm -hmm. 700. So the test itself is telling you pretty much nothing. Now, a student who, let's say, did everything they could Mm -hmm. and got a 400 probably knows different things or is performing in that context, right? And that's the problem. Like, does it mean they know less or just performed less well? Yeah. And I don't know which one it is. Sometimes it actually is no less, probably most of the time. There's a significant difference between what somebody at a 400 knows and what somebody at a 700 knows. But there's no distinction between 700, 710, 720. Mm-hmm. So you know that's well within the standard error of measure. And that's why they put out those numbers, right? But like everything we hear in this process creates the impression of significant differences in knowledge and ability Based on these minute differences in the measurement tools we use. That's a problem.
0: The people who are making these policies and making making the admissions decisions, we kind of are by definition the ones who succeeded, right? Right. We made it through because, we're, you know, we have our bachelor's degree, some people with master's, doctorates who are sitting there making these decisions. Where Where can they go to bring in the perspectives of of the people who who came in struggling who didn't quite make it okay what could we have done differently how do we help you how do we what you know I think we I think there's that step back that has to be taken right
1: yes and I think part of it the simple step back that I think most adults leaders you know, people controlling the process should take is do the thing yourself every time I talk to admissions teams I ask them to take the SAT
0: mm-hmm
1: Just go take it, take it, register it, take it, and you have to publish your scores publicly. Put them on Twitter. What's fascinating to me is how many people refuse, are appalled by the notion. (laughs) (laughs) Think about that. If you are an adult appalled by the notion of doing what you're asking the 17-year-olds to do, you may want to reconsider asking them to do that. (laughs)
0: And right. you're doing it one time. You're asking them to take it multiple times most right. likely because of super scoring.
1: Right, right. So just go ahead and do it. Like mm-hmm. I would love to have an entire admissions team. Let's get all the professors in there. Mm-hmm. And, and your job is on the line if you don't score above the average score for admitted students to your college. <laughs> <laughs> and I especially want that for those who swear by the test. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the the first podcast I ever did was The Crush. Mm-hmm. Dabin yeah, and I, yeah. <laughs> like, you remember all the moments where we're, we're like, "Holy crap!" Like, we <laughs> were trying. Like, and what's fascinating at the time—this might have been five years ago—I had been in test prep for like twenty-five years, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there registering for the SAT, going, "Holy crap! They're making kids do this." <laughs> I never really took the test, and when I registered yeah. for it, I just jump through everything really quickly. I wasn't thinking from the perspective of a student. But when you sit down and go through these processes from the perspective of a student, it's a whole lot different.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, I think the perspective we were taking in that podcast is what if I'm a low-income student who's gonna struggle to pay for this? The number of times they asked me for more money and hid the option, like, you know, you can have this add-on, right? Where like, it was a little hard to tell. It was an extra mm-hmm. you didn't really need. Yeah. So all these places like pay us more, pay us more, pay us more, you know, and things that are hard to understand and process through all of this. So yeah. I think if more people did the thing themselves, you're going to require the SAT, go take it. Right. You you, you get ACT scores from most of your students, good, sign up for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Register for it. Go through the process. Show up to the test. Sit there and take it. And then tell me what it tells you about yourself.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I would love it if more people would just go, that makes me want to just log on and say, hey, here's my score. Yeah, I, I did well on the test. I struggled first year of college because there were things I was not prepared for that had nothing to do with academics.
1: Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are beyond the metrics we're using. Colleges are, are struggling a little bit to, to figure out how do I measure those things. When you even think about predictive validity and all of those sort of numbers, right? Like None of these things are predicting at 75%, right? We're, we're trying to get to 50 right? Like it's It's fascinating, but I'm like, wait a minute. We're essentially flipping a coin or miscleoing this whole process, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, maybe we got, you know, 58% chance this kid will be back next year. It's like, woo-hoo! And they're excited about <laughs> essentially flipping a coin. Like, why not just flip the coin and, call and save <laughs> Thousands of dollars per student. <laughs>
0: We're striving for a coin flip. I like the idea of Miss Cleoing it, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's a little bit about my age. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, most of the, le- the listenership, you know, has a little gray on them and can understand the Miss Cleo reference. <laughs>
0: I'll bet a lot of us remember that. I have this picture in my head now of a of, of a group visa event, and they're introducing the staff. and Hey, this is our, this is our uh, our operations psychic. She'll be making the <laughs> decision. And... <laughs>
1: Exactly. Exactly. She gets it right more often than she gets it wrong. So, yeah. she's a superstar.
0: <laughs> she was right 51% of the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll have the residence halls you want, you want placed in the in the perfect dorm for you. We got palm ratings over here and yeah.
1: <laughs> and that also leads you back to sort of some of the thinking around this is that what's interesting is in a lot of ways college admissions is doing the work to see who can succeed on their own, who can mm-hmm. succeed kind of in spite of the institution. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's in spite of the institution. That sounds a little pejorative, mm-hmm. but you, you know, it's like wh- what you're hoping for is to a certain extent those that need the least support, which to me is it's low risk. Right. It's low risk, yeah. right? And it's a question of assessing risk, which I totally get as a business,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I think that's part of the struggle in higher ed is the conflict between perception of an educational institution whose goal should be teach support help people through mm-hmm. but a business's goal is to spend as little money as possible to get as much money as you can on the other end
0: mm-hmm.
1: so those two goals and objectives are somewhat empathetical i did a presentation once on hbcus and I took the schools in North Carolina because North Carolina, HBCUs are part of the public system in North Carolina, so it makes the mm-hmm. c- comparison theoretically more more comparable, mm-hmm. theoretically, because the how, research articles funding? on how underfunded they were, yeah, right? How's the funding? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> theoretically equal funding, yeah. but yeah. Um, what was fascinating to me was essentially I took Pell rate and graduation rate, mm-hmm. and essentially the bar graphs just went in opposite directions pell went up graduation yeah. when it's like oh surprise look at that graduation yeah. is highly linked to the money available to students yep you know and those sort of things aren't talked about enough mm. you know
0: you know i think it's it's and going back here to the the student perception there how do we get this information in the student and parent hands because when they keep saying this is what matters to us and we're over here Shouting in our heads and sometimes out loud, that doesn't matter. You know, this school with a with a fifty percent retention rate is a great fit for you. Yeah, there's just a lot of students who have other things in their life. This school with a ninety percent retention, ninety nine percent retention, you know, maybe they're you know, it looks good on paper, and maybe that's what you want to base your entire decision on. But if you're like me, you grew up in a small town on a dirt road, you know, going to New York City is not the right fit for you.
1: <laughs> it's the right fit for everyone. If you can make it there, you I can cannot. make it oh, anywhere. I... What higher ed has to do a better job of, it's slowly moving that way, right? Mm-hmm. Conversations are shifting. Even the conversation around test optional right now, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. shifting significantly. So I think that these things are going to take time and be slow mm-hmm. as culture and society shifts the perception. And I think higher ed still has a lot of history and and tradition and hangups from its founding, right, from the elitism that was the core of higher ed at the very beginning. And there are institutions that perpetuate that, right? There are institutions that are ranking colleges and looking at colleges as quality simply on the basis of their past perception of quality, right? Like the, the best mm-hmm. colleges tend to be the oldest ones, the ones who've had money forever, who started mm-hmm. off as wealthy places. So being able to break that down and, and ask families to step out beyond the media hype and to look at factors that really matter to them are important, you know? And it's, it's going to take pushing from lots of angles.
0: When we talked to independent counselors too, they a lot of them were still saying, it was, I think it was 55%. It wasn't a huge share, but it was still significant. Saying that, you know, I just don't, I don't know that I believe colleges when they say that they're not going to look at test scores.
1: Which is understandable. And, and not to beat up all IECs, but their business is driven by the notion of a mystery getting into college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Like their business model is dependent upon it. You can't sell admission to CUNY when they have a grid on their website that says X plus Y means you're in. Hmm. No one's hiring you to help them figure that out. So (laughs) so, exactly, right. Let's hope they're not, right? I mean, so I think that part of the problem is who are we talking to in these things? And independent businesses are the easiest for media to get a hold of, are the Mm -hmm. easiest to say things out in public. And so the, it becomes a problem when those are driving the conversation.
0: I like the way you go about things with asking the, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Um, same similar type of process that when I spoke with Marie Begum sort of that, okay, what, what was that? I I like to do the, okay, here's an issue. What caused that? Okay. What caused that? Okay. What caused that when we're trying to do this as an office and an institution, do you think it's better to start looking at an individual process and then making change little by little? Or do you think it's better to pull together a group of stakeholders and then just tear everything down, reimagine, okay, what does this look like from scratch?
1: Yes, and <laughs> 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 I don't know which of the two will be effective. The way yeah. I look at it is I fight my fights and let other people fight theirs.
0: Mm.
1: Right. So I don't know that there is a right way. I tend to, to talk about standardized testing a lot because that's the thing I know really, really well, Yeah. right? I'm not an expert in social-emotional learning, so I would tend to not use those words because, you know, the way I look at things, if you don't know about it, shut your mouth. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, so, so, you know, yes, we do need to consider all the different ways in which we can revamp the system small changes are probably quicker and easier than large scale changes, right? So test optional seems like a really quick, easy way to get at some of the problems with testing, right? But I love to see, and this is what causes those hate reads when you get the economist coming out in some article saying test optional is not gonna cure everything. Thanks for the straw man argument. No one ever said it was, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, they like, okay, so like I'm not sure what your point is. You wrote 800 yeah. words to tell me that, to argue against something no one ever claimed. Right? We don't so, need
0: test optional. It's not going to solve climate change. Right, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: So it's like, yeah, uh, not how this thing works. Yeah. So I think you, you push at the things that you're able to push at. I think the testing element of this is a relatively easy thing to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, harder might be, how do you decouple advantages given to wealthy donors and legacy and all of mm-hmm. those sort of things right that might be a little bit harder to address right um, I was fascinated by Colorado pace pl- I was passing a law that just says you can't use legacy period full stop oh. that's amazing It's the legacy of giving advantage to institutions that excluded black students forever mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, why would you continue a racist policy mm-hmm. right so,
0: in closing out here, I just want to kind of jump at something that that you'd posed online that I found really interesting. This is another one of those, okay, so what, what caused that? What does this mean? You'd asked about the capacity of colleges, and that really got me wondering, because I I guess I, I was an institution where there wasn't really a capacity. I, I, so So how many institutions do you think truly have a capacity limit, and what does that mean? I mean, sure, dorm rooms can be a limiting factor, but I think we all know that there's schools that have brought in temporary dorms when they needed to. You bring in the dorm trailers, more students are allowed to move off campus. Now I think everyone hopefully knows how to do online, right? If an institution suddenly had twice their normal number of students who are committed saying that they want to do it, would they not hire more faculty? Would they not find ways to make it work? What's capacity? What does it mean? Is it real? Is it right. the self-imposed idea of, oh, no, we can only take this many students and everyone else goes on the wait list or everyone else gets rejected?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, and what, what sparked the question was, you know, another article on, I don't know, if Stanvard wants to solve the nation's problems, they should double in size or something stupid like mm-hmm. that, right? It was the argument of having the highly rejective colleges increase their capacity. And that got me thinking about well, what's the capacity of higher ed, period, to admit in four year colleges students? And do we have more capacity, quote unquote, than we had students? And that's sort of where I was trying to think that through. It's like, do we actually need more? Do we need to convince the public that? the the options that are currently available are sufficient to meet all of our needs right right mm-hmm. now it's really the perception of highly rejective colleges as the only quality colleges mm-hmm. and i think that's problematic right yeah. one i don't like I'm, I'm a person who's sort of opposed to brands Sort of theoretically, he says as he talks to you on his Apple computer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it so, the
0: was there, right? You didn't choose Apple; you just yeah, it was there. Exactly. It's so <laughs> happened. Like I just
1: happened to have an Apple, you know. So, so, and I'm sort of prototypical. Of like, I have a reaction to branding. I will never mm-hmm. buy Prada, right? I will never buy certain brands because the entire qual or the entire marketing of the product is around, look, we're expensive and exclusive, yeah. right? Um, and I think that exists in higher ed as well. There are certain institutions where it's really the the rejectiveness of the institution is mm. being conveyed as if that signals quality above and beyond places that are more open, right? And it's not necessarily from the institution, but the institution takes advantage of it and benefits from it and does nothing to diminish that notion. So I think that's part of the problem. Like, like when can we get to the point? How do we get to the point where we say, you know what, you can learn English really well at a lot of places. Yeah. Right? I'm sure there are things that I can that Caltech will be a really good place to go for. I think if I remember properly, Caltech is like the nuclear physicist people for the government. Like they get huge. So if Mm -hmm. I want to do that, yeah, probably Caltech. But what other places are that sort of unique and narrow? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that the vast majority of college aspirants aren't looking at something that is narrow and highly specialized so that there's only two or three or four places that will allow you to learn what you need to in order to be successful. You don't need to go to MIT to, to, you know to work at JP Morgan. Right, like, you just don't. Like, there ain't nothing like uniquely special about what you will learn that will make you go, you know that will benefit yeah. you there.
0: A lot of times too, I, I with that level of like the, the Caltech example, a lot of that comes down to the grad work, not necessarily mm-hmm. undergrad. Yeah, you know is that the best fit for undergrad? or yeah, that's absolutely where you have to go if that's the work you want to do for grad school
1: and that's that's fascinating i think that that's part of the whole conversation that really needs to be unpacked one of these days is Mm -hmm. what is college the idea of a four-year residential educational experience is not what the vast majority of people applying to college are measuring when they choose where to apply Mm -hmm. right because nothing in many of the metrics that are put out there Actually, about the educational experience at the institution, SAT score tells you nothing about what you learn at college. No, oh. right. Yeah, so it's
0: true. It's an yeah, input. So, it's not an output. Right. It's an input not an output. <laughs> so, so input, not
1: an output. So so many of these things are input, not output. Graduation rate, you know, as our friend John Bockensteed um, likes to say. Bockensteed, my bad. Uh, <laughs> <likes to> say, <laughs>
0: let's let, let let's workshop a few more. Let's see what we can do. <laughs>
1: They stayed broken Um I'm assuming he's gonna hear this shout out to John uh, what does like to say um graduation rate isn't is an input not an output
0: yeah
1: right and so all I think retention things, is right. for a
0: lot of things not a hundred percent because right. there's things that can happen there that but yeah a lot of times it, you get what you put in
1: yeah so how do we shift the, the thinking the conversation so that it's easier so that A, families want to look at the, the, the right, quote unquote, criteria, mm-hmm. and can. It's really hard to say, what am I going to learn at that institution, and who am I going to learn from, and yeah. what will it provide me access to as a career? Yeah. Like that's that's really, like, how the heck do you put that as a number that I can look up on the Googles? Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know, people used to say that had to be because of campus visit, but right. that, that's where you'll get the feel for it. What about this year?
1: Yeah. Right. And then when you break that down, which was the conversation we had last year mm-hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic, it's like, let's yeah. break down who has ever visited and who yeah. visits. I visited none of the colleges I applied to. Mm-hmm. Actually, I visited one. I was on St. Thomas and I visited the college that was on St. Thomas where my mm-hmm. father taught. <laughs> <laughs> the three colleges in New York that I applied to, I never actually was on campus until I went
0: there and there's a growing number of students. There had been a growing and now it's, you know, this, this year, I'm I'm just working on the survey data this past few weeks and it's scary. The number of students who have not visited any campuses at all.
1: Is it scary though? I don't know that it's scary. Like eh.
0: my question then is, are you making a decision based on what I think I'm going to get or what I'm actually going to get? Is it, is it based on, I'm just going to the school because I know their football team or is it, I'm going to the school because I've been there. Okay. I can see myself fitting in there. I I'm a kid growing up on a dirt road and this is in a big city. I can see myself actually not being overwhelmed here or is it, I'm there and I'm deer in headlights.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, I don't know. No, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. that's, that's a tough one, right? Because I don't know how much that matters. Or how you assess it. Mm-hmm. I went on campus to these places. It was fine. I ultimately went to Pratt. I was surprised by the number of students from South Korea that were there. It's in the middle of Brooklyn. I like. It felt like there was a pipeline directly from South Korea to Pratt. And that's. It's like I didn't expect that, but okay, it is what it is. Let's go. So I was like you know so i don't know how much it impacted my experience it didn't really change my experience i didn't want to trend tram- like but i was absolutely i remember being surprised because i also remember being really specific to korea and i'm sure they have a larger international draw like because this is like memory not data right yeah and i'm sure they have a larger international draw than south korea but yeah. that was the one that struck me it's like huh you you adapt I, i'm not sure how much the visit matters that's that <laughs> in the long run
0: yeah, I, I can't imagine a lot of them came for a visit before enrolling either. But Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's where it's gotta be hard for your national students. But
1: Oh man. Yeah. It is fascinating. Well,
0: we've hit a lot of fascinating. I don't yes. know that we solved any problems, but hopefully this is something that people have some tools and have some questions. And have some things they can go back. And say, you know, I hadn't thought about that. I'm going to go take this SAT. I'm going to see what that looks like. I'm going to fill out our application. I'm going to fill out our need-based aid app. I'm right. going to do X, Y, and Z, and see what that student experience. And is
1: like. profile on top of it.
0: And and hopefully we'll see a flood of people posting their test scores, and we'll see. That how much would be they'd amazing. Like that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Just have
1: all the admissions officers in the country posting their SAT yeah. scores. Yeah. <laughs> More importantly, the professors. That's that's what I actually think what would be really telling what is the professor of history going to get on the math SAT and why are you you know and if you're one of those on the faculty senate defending it, why? Yeah. If you can't score the level of the high school student that's applying, why do you want them to do that?
0: I don't know. I, I think the people I've met who really defend it vehemently are the ones who did well on it.
1: Yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think part of the difference is now is one of the math skills atrophy, right? For unless you're actually doing that in database. And that's part yeah. of the whole thing. It's like, are these real skills that we need to be successful? Or is it simply a proxy that we're using yeah. to say, we believe this means smart?
0: Hmm. Yeah, and that's not It's, a, it's thing. a hoop you jump through.
1: Right. Removing hoops makes sense when they're meaningless hoops we're making people jump through. Mm-hmm.
0: In summary, if we're going to TLDR this, we're, let, let's just take down all the meaningless hoops. Just, I hope someone only listens to that piece and is seriously... Confused. <laughs> there it
1: is. Get rid of the meaningless hoops that tell us very, very little.
0: Yep. Well, thank you, Akil. This was thank fantastic to actually actually talk instead of type. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I really seriously hope this gives people some pieces that they can go back and say, okay you're blocking us removing test scores. You're blocking us remove legacy. Let's take a look at it. What is that actually telling us? Yep. Is it actually predicting success by itself? Or is it telling us that this kid who is going to be successful anyway was successful? Because whoop-de-doo.
1: <laughs> we found all the potential successful people and we've yep. given them the stamp of associating with us. or we've given ourselves the stamp of associating with them whichever because that kind of works both ways yeah yeah
0: (laughs) this was a fantastic conversation thank you i just want to thank you for the time i know you've got a crazy schedule thanks a lot yep stay safe out there and
1: awesome have a good one